Thank you very much for that kind introduction and thank you all of you for coming this evening. Uh, I am going to talk to you about natural navigation and it is a weird subject. <laughs> what do I mean by weird? Well, there's a very good chance you are the only people in the whole world listening to a talk on this subject right now, <laughs> which makes you a little bit weird as well. But if it makes you a little bit weird, it makes me a freak. So I should probably just take a couple of minutes to talk about the kind of freak that I was and became. As a child, I was pretty restless. I couldn't sit still. If I saw a hill, I wanted to know what it was like at the top. And if I saw a pond or a lake, I wanted to work out how to get across it. And all that really happened is that the hills became mountains and the lakes became oceans. The journeys became quite big. I was heading into some of the remotest parts of the world, crossing 150 kilometers of the Libyan Sahara with a Tuareg, heading into the heart of Borneo, journeys like this. And in 2008, I fulfilled a dream. I climbed into a single-engine aircraft and set off to fly solo across the North Atlantic. This is a, a picture from that trip, coming in low over a glacier. Feels like the tips of the wings are going to touch the rocks on either side. One small mistake, and I'd be dead. Shortly afterwards, in a 10-meter boat on my own in the middle of the Atlantic, looking at waves that were higher than my boat was long. An amazing experience, an incredible privilege, and it was a dream fulfilled. But what I'd noticed over the years is that as the journeys got bigger and bolder, more ambitious, more adventurous, and a little bit edgier, they didn't actually get a lot more interesting. Crossing the Atlantic, and this is a picture from the solo flight, uh, was strangely no more exhilarating than what I'd experienced as a 10-year-old scrambling up a little hill. And I thought, that's very odd. Why is that? I didn't know, but I thought maybe some of this kit here had something to do with it. Everything you can see there has something to do with navigation, something to do with finding our way, but very little to do with the richness of the experience of, of sensing the world. Incidentally, um, bottom left, you can, uh, you can see what I'm wearing there. It's what I... I came to know affectionately as the gimp suit. Uh, professionally, it's known as an immersion suit. And I was advised by people who knew better than me, because this was the, the third time I'd ever flown this type of aircraft, um, and I was doing it solo across the Atlantic. There was a lot I didn't know. Um, fashion for this expedition was one of those things. And the, the advice I got was, you're flying a single-engine aircraft across a big ocean, and it's unlikely, but if something goes wrong, you are going to get wet. And the deal is, if you don't wear that suit, you will die in 10 to 15 minutes. But the good news is, if you wear that suit, you won't die for a whole hour. You're still going to die. <laughs> so, so I wore the suit. And what, what I started to think is maybe, maybe it's the kit that's getting in the way. So I started to take on some much, much smaller journeys. I decided to try and cross some small parts of the English countryside just using nature as my guide. No map, no compass, no GPS. This is back before smartphones, so there's no temptation there. And that's what I want to share with you tonight, is some of the clues and signs that make this possible and how they can change your journeys. The sun is due south in the middle of the day, every day of the year. That's when it gives us most of its light and energy. And it's leaving footprints all over the landscape for us to detect. 
Plants, like trees, need this light. It is their, their breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So they grow bigger on the side that most of the light comes from. So you've probably clicked already that this tree, which you'll have noticed, is asymmetrical. There's no such thing as a symmetrical tree. Ask someone to draw a picture of a tree, it'll be symmetrical. But in the real world, they don't exist. This tree is bigger on the right-hand side. That's telling us it's getting more light from the right, and that's giving us a clue to direction. It's saying south is out to the right there somewhere. I've actually got a collection of over 20 ways we can use trees to help us find our way, and I just want to share a couple more of my favorites with you. Trees have two types of leaf. They have sun leaves and shade leaves. Sun leaves are smaller, lighter in color, and thicker to the touch. Shade leaves are bigger, darker, and thinner. And of course, we get more sun leaves on the sunny southern side of a tree. These two twigs were taken from the same ash tree in August. It's nothing to do with spring growth. It's just the footprints left by the sun. But just as we can use trees as a compass, they're also making a map for us. And something I would like all of you to do is, the next time you come across a body of water, a pond, a lake, a river, it doesn't really matter. Just have a look at the trees growing very close to it. And then compare them to the trees growing slightly further away. One of the wonderful things about natural navigation is we don't actually have to think much about names. We have to be a bit curious. We have to spot patterns and trends. But we don't have to think about names. And what you'll start to notice is trees. You may know their names. You may recognize them as willows. But if you don't, it doesn't matter. There are certain trees that like to be by the water, certain trees that like to be further away. And what happens next is really exciting because your brain will take a shortcut. You just do this a few times, and the next time you're on a walk, your brain will say to you, there's a bit of water out there. And you're suddenly sensing the environment like your ancestors did, like indigenous people do to this day. The clue is triggering in you a sense of what's going on. You have sensed the water before you've actually seen it. Animals are no fools. We know this. When we build a house, we don't go and build it at the bottom of the beach where the tide is going to take it away at the next high tide. Spiders don't spin their webs in a place where they're going to get whipped away a minute later. The wind, like the sun, is leaving footprints in the landscapes all around us. The wind can blow from any direction on any one day, but there are trends, there are patterns. The wind blows from the southwest more frequently than any other direction in this country. So we put two simple pieces together, spiders' webs, are pointing northeast for us. They grow on the sheltered northeast side of trees and buildings. And just as animals can make compasses, they can also make maps for us. Every single animal has a habitat, it has a niche, and if we give it that curiosity, if we give it a moment of our day to just sort of say to it, what do you need, where do you thrive, then the animal will whisper back to you, here's your map. The comma butterfly, beautiful butterfly, you find it typically near woodland edges. So if you're in the woods and you see this butterfly, you're very close to the edge. If you're in open country, you're probably just about to find a bit of woodland. What I did over the years was I collected these clues and signs. Um, it's a little bit addictive. Uh, and I, I, I'm kind of basically, this, this is your gateway drug here. I'm trying to get you hooked. But um, I suddenly realized that from a few dozen to a few hundred to a few thousand clues and signs, Everything outdoors, and I mean that literally, everything outdoors uh, is a clue. It's trying to tell us something. So when we go for a cup of coffee, it's not random. Nothing is random. The place we choose to sit down, that's been painted, that's been marked out by the sun. Now that might not shock, shock you that we, excuse me, that we go for a cup of coffee where they're on the sunny side of the street. 
But I'd like to show you some, some other clues and signs that you might not have guessed. You know those times where you're in a town or a city you don't know very well and you ask somebody for directions and then it becomes unbearable. You have that two minutes of waffle where somebody's too polite to tell you they don't know what they're talking about and you can't break off the conversation soon enough. Well, here's the clue to, to stop that ever happening again. Watch how people cross the road because academics, some pretty weird academics to give them credit, have worked out that the time we take on the pavement is directly correlated with how well we know a town or city. So just watch. If people pause on the pavement, don't ask them anything. If they go straight across, they'll help you out. Stars. You will all have come across the idea that we can find our way using stars. Um, there are dozens of methods. The first one to start with, if you're not familiar with this, is the North Star using the plow or the Big Dipper. Uh, the Americans call it the Big Dipper. Kids and sensible adults call it the saucepan. Uh, we just use the, the two stars on the edge there as pointer stars. They take us up to Polaris, the North Star. That is due north. But we can also use the stars for lots of other things. If we go in the other direction from the North Star back down to the saucepan, we have the hand of a clock. You can use the stars to tell the time reasonably accurately. With a tiny bit of practice, you can get within a quarter of an hour quite easily. Do we need to do that? No, not at all. Is it fun? Yes, absolutely. Again, it won't shock you to know we can find our way using the moon. Imagine a line that touches the horns of a crescent moon and keep that line going down to your horizon and you'll be looking roughly south. But did you know you can use the moon to forecast the weather? If you see a halo around the moon, it's a sign that a front is approaching and rain will arrive within 24 hours. There are lots and lots of patterns on water, hundreds of patterns on water that will tell us something. And the Pacific Island navigators, the, the foremost experts in this area, could sense land with their eyes shut by lying on the deck of an outrigger canoe and just feeling certain patterns and rhythms in the water. And they're not actually very complicated patterns. I'll just give you an introduction to the idea of, of patterns in the water having meaning. When the sun is low, a sunset, it leaves this beautiful light on the water, known as a glitter path. Now, a glitter path is beautiful, but it also has meaning. Because wherever the waves or ripples get bigger, the glitter path gets wider. So you can use this to gauge what the water's doing. You're well on your way to becoming a Pacific Island navigator. I put together a small expedition with a friend. Uh, we sailed uh, in my small boat up north, far north into the Arctic Circle a few years ago. And we were trying to prove that the Vikings um, knew what they were doing. We knew they knew what they were doing. It was just quite fun to prove it because nobody set out to do that before. And the Vikings refer to using animals to work out how far away land is. Uh, and these long fin pilot whales, you'll notice that their, their wake is creating rather a nice little glitter path there. But the likelihood of seeing whales and dolphins increases as you get closer to land. And there are actually some quite nice simple patterns we can use there. And there's one I'd like to share with you, which is, which is really easy. If in a five-minute window, you count 10 or more birds, you are within 40 miles of land. Uh, I wrote an academic paper on it called Nature's Radar. Uh, you are now all Vikings. <laughs> but I don't, the last thing I want to do is leave you with the impression that natural navigation and this, this rich world of outdoor clues is all about big expeditions or going to far-flung places. It's really not. Everything outdoors, absolutely everything is a clue. Even ugly things. TV satellite dishes. 
They're a double clue. They point close to southeast in this country, so they're giving us a compass. But they're also giving us a little bit of a map. Quite often these clues are like a jigsaw. Different pieces um, put together give you a richer picture. And this is just a little piece. But the angle of a TV satellite dish is telling you how far north or south you are, because they point at satellites that are over the equator. So if the, point, if the satellite dish points straight up, you're on the equator. And as that angle comes down, you're moving away from the equator. And I, don't, I do worry sometimes that people think this is, this is stuff, you know, this is a way of looking at the world for analytical people. It's not. This is actually about beauty. Things we see in the environment, like a rainbow, we see the beauty, but then we move on. Annoying things like emails, deadlines, meetings, things like that start creeping into our head. So actually understanding that everything is a clue and everything outside has meaning forces us to stop because we say, what's it trying to tell me? Rainbows appear opposite the sun. So when you see a rainbow, the rain is in front of you and the sun is behind you. So we can use them to navigate. I used a, a rainbow to find my way in Crete once. They're also forecasting the weather. If you see a rainbow early in the morning, you're probably about to get rained on. If you see it late in the day, the weather's about to improve. But absolutely everything is a sign, including every single color in a rainbow. Every color is trying to tell you something. Lots of red means a wet head. The more red you see in a rainbow, the bigger the raindrops in that. So as we look at this rainbow, we can see the rain is bigger and heavier on the left-hand side than the right-hand side. And at that moment, we've stopped, we've paused, we've looked, We've given a bit of curiosity to the landscape, and it has given us some meaning back. And through that, we've developed a connection, a relationship. And through that, a deeper sense of understanding, quite a lot of fun, and a lot of beauty, another whole layer of beauty on top of our experience outside. So I would like to leave you uh, with a, a request. I, I ask you, please, once a day over the next week, Look at something outdoors. It doesn't matter if you're in the heart of London or in a wilder spot, a park. Just look at something and say, what is the clue? What is it trying to tell me? Um, and you will have become a natural navigator. And I wish you the very best with that journey. I've, got, I've written a few books on the, on the subject. And there's a website with hundreds of clues for you to have a bit of fun with, naturalnavigator.com. Please, please do get amongst it and have a load of fun. Thank you very much.